Thank you, Linda. Hey, good to see you again, folks. Hope you've had a good week. Just trying to get to catch up with, with as many of you as we can. Uh, if we're boring, you just say so. <laughs> yeah. But no, it's great. And it's great to have your fellowship and your and to feel your your love and warmth and welcome. It's just been great. God bless you, every one of you. So when I was at school, Zach, about your age, okay, 13, where are you? See, just about a year younger. Uh, I had glowing school reports. When, when we were getting ready to come to us, we were sorting through some stuff. I found my own school reports. I found this one from when I was uh, 13. You probably can't read it very well, which is just as well. But in the bit I've underlined, it says about Montez, March 1987. You didn't think I was that old, did you? Okay. He is very easily distracted from his work. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, and not a lot has changed, I don't suppose. The issue was, and the reason I didn't do so well in geography, is because I didn't listen well. The reason I was getting distracted is because I wasn't listening well to what was being taught. Now you think that would change as I got older, wouldn't you? That I'd, be, I'd, I'd begin to listen better. So I studied theology back in 2006. Uh, have the next slide, please. And it, it, it was like a dream come true. I'd always wanted to study theology ever since I was converted at 16. So I was having a time of my life. And you think, wouldn't you, by the time you're in your 30s in a Bible college, you'd be a little more mature? Well, we're having a great day once in a lecture. Uh, I don't think our lecturer was very impressed, but we were just throwing paper across the desk. I mean, this is what you do in theology school, okay? So there was this atmosphere just being silly, and one of my friends uh, threw off some of my uh, pens and things off the desk. So as I went down to get them underneath the desk, he trapped me in, and I was stuck down there. And I had a choice. Do I say, sir, I'm down here. I just hope he can't see me or forget I was in the class. So I just sat there silently, hoping that the lecturer wouldn't know I was there. <laughs> Within a couple of minutes, wasn't Montez in this class? And so I, I was found out and consequently got a terrible mark for that subject. <laughs> it was called preaching. I wasn't listening very well. That's probably why I got a very bad mark in that particular uninteresting part of a college. The college was generally brilliant, but not then. Here's the thing. How are we listening? We've listened to a lot. You've listened to the wedding. We've listened to the service. But I want to ask, how are we listening to the Bible? Look, we all listen to sermons, and look, I'm not suggesting that Aussies need a lesson in how to listen to a sermon. But I want to suggest listening to sermons is one of those arts, skills, that we perhaps got a little teaching on. And so Christopher Ash from, uh, from London wrote a book, a little book, just you can get it for 99p, probably a couple of dollars here, called Listen Up. Has anyone come across it? Just a small booklet teaching the church how to listen to God's word preached. 
And I want to do a little mini-series with you starting today. We'll conclude it, God willing, next week, if you haven't stoned me by the end of it. Uh, and just, just looking at what the Bible teaches about listening to the Bible. It's bizarre. Well, you'd expect it, wouldn't you? The Bible not only comes to us with instruction, it comes to us with an instruction package for how to listen to the instructions. And I want to look at that with you this morning. We're going to have several anecdotes as we look at it, but let me begin with a first heading. We'll have three this morning and then we'll continue and conclude, God willing, next week. Number one, how do we listen to sermons? We expect God to speak. Expect God to speak. Paul, writing to the church in Thessalonica, writes, We also thank God continually because when you receive the word of God, you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as it actually is the word of God. Not as the word of men, but as it actually is the words of the apostles, the word of God. I've got a little apprentice, and I wonder if she could help me out. Is she still here? I hope she hasn't left. Marilla, would you read, two st uh, two, uh, tell us about two people, Adam and Beth. Adam couldn't really be bothered with sermons. There were a number of things he liked about church, especially the friends he had made and the music. Well, when the music group was leading, that, but not the sermons. He felt he had put up with those because it would look a bit off if he walked out when the preacher started. They just seemed dull. Faced with the entertainment choice between 24 and the sermon, it was a, a no-brainer. 24, 1, any day. Beth was really looking forward to the sermon. Last Sunday, she had gone up to the preacher and said, I'm so looking forward to next Sunday. I can't wait. He looked pleased, if a bit surprised. But Beth wasn't trying to sweet-talk him. She was, sorry, she really did look forward to the sermon with a sense of eager anticipation. She wondered what God was going to say to her. She felt as if someone had told her to expect a phone call from the US president. All week she was, as it were, waiting by the phone. So when the sermon started, she was paying close attention and eager attention. Thank you. But they're real anecdotes, real stories of real life. Look, Adam was a fool. Beth was wise. 1 Thessalonians says, We also thank God continually because when you received the word of God, you heard it from us, you accepted it is not as the word of men, but as it actually is the word of God. Here's the thing. It is the word of God, the words of the apostle. But I want to suggest, friends, that it's not only the words of the apostle that are the word of God, because whenever we speak the words of the apostles, we are speaking the word of God. I know we know that, but I wonder how much that reality affects how we listen. 1 Peter 4, if, one, if anyone speaks, so speaking to the church now, 
to those who are communicating the apostles' teaching to one another, he should do so as one speaking the very words of God. It's a word to preachers. Peter writing to speakers, preachers, he's telling, look, when you handle the apostles' words, the word of God, I want you to remember you are speaking the word of God. And so as we listen, friends, I wonder, I wonder, are we really expecting? Now look, I'm not suggesting that any of this stuff isn't a reality here. Just a reminder of basic truths. I want to ask, are we really expecting God to speak? What are we looking for? I mean, have we come for a buzz? Or have we come to hear God? Here's a reality. This is God's word and most of us here, I should imagine every one of us have a copy of it at home. And certainly God speaks through the reading of the Bible. But here's something. The primary means by which God speaks is the word preached, the word presented, the word spoken. Let me show you what I mean. Listen to Peter here, 1 Peter 1. For, I, for you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable seed, through the living, enduring word of God. And this is the word that was, someone help me out. This is the word that was preached to you. I want to suggest, friends, look, with all the technology we have, a, a person standing and preaching is still the primary means by which God speaks to us. This is what Christopher, who wrote the book, says, Christopher Ash, when the Bible is faithfully opened up, when we are, we are to listen to the preacher's voice as the voice of God himself. The preacher stands in the great tradition of Old Testament prophets and New Testament apostles who spoke the word of God. There's a difference, though, that when we speak, we are, when the apostles spoke, or wrote the epistles, they were adding to the canon. We understand that, don't we? The canon, the Bible began with the Old Testament. When the apostles spoke, they were adding to God's, what word, the I word, to God's infallible word. What do we mean by that? Never wrong. It can never be altered, never changes, totally dependable. When the apostles spoke, they spoke the words, God's infallible words. When the preacher speaks, except when he's quoting scripture directly, he's not speaking God's word infallibly. So I think there's a differ difference. So when we're quoting scripture, that's the word of God infallibly. When the, when the speaker unpacks that, it is God's word to us because he's handling God's word, but it's not infallible. It's not infallible, which means that a speaker can get it wrong. And I want to deal with that in a minute. How faithful is the speaker to the text? So it seems to me if God is speaking through preachers who handle the word of God, he's only speaking through preachers who do handle the word of God. How? Well, that would be great. Faithfully. A preacher can handle the word of God very unfaithfully. 
So it's the word of God so long as the preacher is handling that word faithfully. So I want to suggest, friends, that when we're listening to the word and we trust it's been handled faithfully, there shouldn't really be, look, I don't, look some of us, I mean, look at Pierre, he's sitting like he's in, in the bar, I mean, and, and somebody else sitting there, you know, yeah, yeah, look, he's even, he's even got the movement of his hand, you know, you know this guy, he's not even dressed up properly for church, come on. Look, I'm not suggesting there has to be particularly attire or particular position, but there certainly has to be an awe, a reverence, that this is God speaking. In Nehemiah, where, when the word of God was re- uh, preached, read and preached, I want to show you their response. Ezra, uh, Nehemiah 8, Ezra opened the book, the, uh, the word of God, and the people could see him because he was standing above them. It's probably why we have platforms for ministers. And as he opened it, the people all stood up and they stood and listened for hours. So you've got a treat today. I'm going to emulate him. Thank you, bro. Everyone needs a Jerry, okay, in, in their church. So look, but what the point I'm trying to get at is, is that when the Bible was heard, they, they listened in a manner that demonstrated their respect and awe for the God who was speaking through that word. It's my hope that as we're looking at the word together, that God is speaking. Maybe through the voice of the speaker, maybe in my heart as that word resonates with my heart, but nevertheless, this is, it's no casual exercise. Look, if you win, we just seen the Queen's grandson get married. If you stood, if we stood in her presence and she spoke, I doubt there'd be any lack of respect and attentiveness, would there? And so I think the first thing I want us to appreciate when we listen to the Bible being preached, that we are hearing God speak. It demands a certain level of attentiveness, respect, response, if you like. So when we gather together, expect God to speak. Number two, when we, when we hear the Bible preach, admit, that God knows better than you. Admit that God knows better than you. Hebrews 4, for the word of God is living and it's active, it's sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing of soul and spirits, joint and marrows. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. Verse 13, nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before his eyes. Wow. He is right now scrutinizing everything about us. <coughs> My able assistant at the back, please. She's going to tell us about Chloe and Dylan. True life people. Chloe hated Sunday sermons. She was popular at school. Everybody liked her. She thought of herself as a Christian, but wanted badly to keep in with all the different groups at school, whatever their beliefs. The sermon had been pretty straight about what Jesus says about the cost of discipleship and the need to be open with your faith before people. 
Chloe could see that if she really was like that, some of her friends wouldn't be quite so friendly. As she went home, her thoughts turned to whether the Bible was really quite as simple as the preacher had said. Surely there were other ways of reading the Bible that made it easier to fit in with everybody at school, weren't there? Dylan felt deeply challenged by the Bible passage preached on Sunday. He'd always been happy enough with his well-paid job and comfortable lifestyle. And being a Christian just seemed to add an extra layer of comfort, respectability and peace of mind on top. Now, as he listened to the, challenges, the challenge of Jesus to his disciples, he was unsettled. Could Jesus want him to change? Perhaps change his giving radically? Perhaps even change his job? Yes, the Bible passage really did seem to mean that. Dylan went home humbled and thoughtful. Thank you. Chloe just tried to tunnel away under what was being preached. Dylan accepted it for what it was, the word of God, and accepted that God knew better than him. He allowed the word of God to search his heart, to search his life. He acknowledges that God knew him better than he knew himself, and thus the word of God to him was something that he had to respond favorably to. Here's what one John, the disciple of Jesus, wrote. He goes, look, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have no sin, we make him out to be a liar and his word has no place in our lives. Who's John writing to? What audience? The people of God. And how does it begin? If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. Friends, when we come under God's word, expect that God knows us better than we know ourselves and expect that word to root out and to target areas of our lives that fall short of his mark. You see, we can come to the word already believing Hey, uh, we're just, we're, you know, I'm pretty good with God. And if you watch this week, I don't, I've had seven quiet times. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know. Uh, and, you know, and look, my life's run on target. When we come to church, however many quiet times we may have had, let's come and let's be ready for the word to penetrate Parts. Look, do you guys drink Heineken? You don't drink Heineken? Come on, mate. <laughs> Look, what do they say about Heineken? It refreshes parts other beers cannot reach. So they tell me. I've never drunk Heineken. <laughs> no interest in drinking Heineken. But the Bible reaches parts that no other word reaches. God really knows us better than ourselves. And we may come, and it's easy to imagine, is it not? I'm doing pretty well. I really, I, in fact, I haven't committed many sins this week. And all of a sudden, the word of God is opened. And if we're honest and sincere before God, 
and allow it to penetrate our hearts instead of, look, what are we most likely to do when we've heard something really challenging in church? What do we almost always do? Someone tell me, what is our instinctive response when we hear a really challenging word that's really penetrating? We, we, we think or say to ourselves, that's what Rowan really needed to hear. Really, isn't that what we do? Or if only David had been here, he really needed that word today. Maybe I needed that word today. Maybe the preacher needed the word he preached today. Hebrews 4, look, listen to this. For the word of God is living and active. Have you ever thought of it like that? Look, every single book you read, and it's good to read, is dead. Absolutely dead. Has any of you seen the, the, the movie uh, Never Ending Story? It's really old. Okay, yeah, there's old as Kent to have read that or watched the film, okay? It's really old. But do you know he gets that book? Takes it up to, up to an attic somewhere, I think, in school. And as he reads it, what happens? Yeah, it, the book comes alive. It becomes a part of the story. There is only one book in all the world that when you unfold its pages and when you engage with its words, as you hear its words, you become a part of it. It's living. It comes alive. You enter it. You feel it. You experience it. It's a living book. There is no book like it. The Bible says that it's, the Word of God is living and active. I mean, it's not, you know, some people's living is really like, oh, oh, you know. You know they're not really living, are they? <laughs> uh, I wasn't going to suggest that's anything like you, uh, Lorraine. I'm a bit like that sometimes. But this is living. This is active, vibrant living. Look, it's, it's living, it's active in verse 13. Everything is uncovered and laid before the, the eyes of him to him. We must give an account. Let me ask this question. Have I lived my life this week in a manner whereby I was ready for the word preached to impact that area of my life? Have I lived my life this week knowing that one day I will give an account for it? God really knows us better than ourselves. And the word of God, friends, is designed to impact our lives. We heard it at the induction service last week, 2 Timothy 4. Here's the job of the preacher. And look, in some, I know some people think, look, this is a real glamorous job. Hey, there's no glamour in standing before a group of people and saying to them, your life stinks before God. Get it sorted. Now, I'm going to say it in such direct words, but that is sometimes the message coming across. There's no glamour in preaching. And if you think you want to be a preacher because it's glamorous, find another job, mate, because this is not the job for you. Because here's what it's about. Listen to this. Preach the word. It tells Timothy, in season and out of season, correct, rebuke, and encourage. Who the heck wants to do correcting and rebuking? I want to do the encouraging stuff, Okay. But that's not the commission. 
And if you don't like it, blame Michael Wedding because he, he gave me that commission, right? And listen to this. This, this, is, this, is, this is the danger. For a time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers. They still have preachers. Oh, that preaching will continue, but listen. They'll gather around them a great number of preachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears from the truth and turn aside to myths. Why, why would somebody do that? Why would you hire preachers to preach to you what you want to hear? Why would you do that? Because? Because? You don't want to be changed. Who has come this morning to have a dressing down? <laughs> Here's what Christopher Ash says. The voice of God spoken by a faithful teacher will get under my skin. It will cut to the core of my being. It will challenge me to get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in me. And I mustn't always I'm sorry, and I mustn't always expect that. I think that's a misquote for me. And I must expect that. Sometimes I may even feel insulted. Friends, it's normal and natural that if we come under the word of God, it will penetrate deep into our hearts and seek and find everything. Let me give you some examples. 1 Corinthians 6. Do not be deceived. Listen to the strength of this argument. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, and I'm going to skip forward, will inherit the kingdom of God. Hey, and we say, amen, brother, preach it. But did you see the bit I missed out? Nor who? Nor the g -g 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 greedy. I was out with a meal this, this week with a couple from the church. No mention, no names, but they're sitting directly opposite me. <laughs> and once I started my meal, I took a couple of bites and left the rest. But they finished all their food, all of it. Every last piece. And in fact, when one of them left some, the other finished it off for them. <laughs> really, I'm not exaggerating. You do realise that when you come out with Montez, I'm just looking for sermon anecdotes. You do realise that's what it's all about, okay? Right, like, but, but here, here's the point. Have we ever thought that greed is sinful? The word preached will expose that the greedy, and I think the point that is, those who are so infatuated with food that it's the be-all and end-all of their lives, that can become such a God that we miss out on heaven. That's what the text says. Did you see that? That we can be so taken up with a God of food that we can miss eternity. And so the word of God will do that to us. How about this one? Look at this. We're here this morning. John 15, my command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Hey, 
That's, you know, that's a really easy verse to read when I'm on my walks alone before God. It's really simple. Because I haven't got anybody to love. Right? But you put me in church now, sitting with this mob. Right? And now, love each other as I have loved you. And boy, now that's a struggle. And if I'm honest, I'd rather that text wasn't preached this Sunday. Thank you very much. The word of God gets on the Let me give you one more, 1 Timothy 6. And I guess this one applies to every one of us. Godliness with contentment is great gain, for, if we, for we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Wow. Do you know, I'm not content with food and clothing. Honestly. Whoa, me. You know, I'm embarrassed to say before you today that generally speaking, I am not content with just food and clothing. I want a Ferrari. <laughs> and you know when I go on my walks, the guy down the road, I think it's Jerry's house, I'm not sure, but the guy down the road, he lives in a palace. You want to see it? It's got pillars and all. I want that house. Right? Hey. Do you hear the apostle? And I think it's a challenge to every one of us who lives in the West that if we have food and clothing, we'll be content with it. Oh God, make us men and women of the word. With the word shaping our conduct and life. God knows better than us. The final third one really quickly. And I'm going to round up in five minutes if I can. Check the preacher says what the passage says. Check the preacher says what the passage says. Acts 17, as soon as it was night, the brothers sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. On arriving there, they went to the Jewish synagogue. Now the Bereans were more noble character than the Thessalonians, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day. Why? Why? To see that Paul was teaching scripture. Boy, the great apostle, okay? Being scrutinized to check that he's teaching God's word. We'll have Finley and Ellie, please. Uh, Marilla. For Finley, the sermon is something that just washes over him a kind of merging of his stream of consciousness with the preacher's stream of consciousness. If it's engaging, he enjoys the stories, the humour and the personality of the preacher. But he finds it a bit awkward when someone who hasn't been there asks him afterwards what the preacher said. Or if the preacher is very clear, he may be able to tell you what the preacher said, but he'll be a bit stuck if you ask him what the Bible passage was and how the sermon related to the passage. Ellie is a great thinker. She reads the passage before Sunday comes, and then, as the passage is being read in church, already she is beginning to wonder what the preacher is going to say. As the preacher speaks, she is mentally trying to sort out how the preacher gets the sermon from the passage. 
She's the kind of sometimes rather tiresome person who will go up to the preacher afterwards and actually ask them where the passage, their second point, came from. Thank you. Ellie. Look, Finley's just lazy. Makes no preparation for church. Ellie has read the passage, has prepared, has come ready to hear and is listening attentively, watching him deconstruct and reconstruct the word and package it, label it and send it out. And she's analysing it. Look, he, who here watches a movie and just sits back there just staring at the screen? Is that how he watches movies when you go out? No, no, no. What are you doing? You just... <laughs> he doesn't have time, poor guy. <laughs> Look, this is how I watch him. I'm on the edge of my seat, right? And I'm, and I'm reasoning what's going to happen next. What are the connections? What's going to happen? That's how we interact, isn't it? Can I encourage you? And I'm sure you're doing this. Look, when you're listening to the preacher, judge everything he says. Analyze it. Not by the standard that we set ourselves. I don't like the sound of that. I don't like the tone. I don't like what he's getting into. He's just getting at me. It's because he had that meal with me in the restaurant this week that he's now utilizing that to get at me. Now, now, analyze what's going on. Is this biblical? Is he handling the text? Or is this the preacher just trying to get one over me? Is this guy just only ever preaching his little hobby horses? I don't know what mine is, but you'll soon work it out. <laughs> now, I hope you'll never work it out. Is the preacher handling the word of God? Look, here's the reality. Hebrews 13. Obey your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you. But it's not blind obedience. It's not like the preacher speaks and I just do it. Uh, he says jump and I just jump and I ask how high on the way up. No, when the speaker preaches, I ask, is he preaching God's word? What's he doing to that text? I've got my Bible open. Can I encourage you? Whether it's on your mobile or in a book, whatever suits you, have a Bible. Check the preacher. It's a bit easier here because I'm going to put it on the screen. But for all you know, I may have edited the words and made them say what I wanted to say. Check the preacher. Is the, here's a the slide, it's coming up, coming up on the screen for you. Is the point that the preacher is making in the passage he's expounding? Is the preacher making the application of the passage far wider than the Bible intended? Look, when I quote a text, I am restricted to the application of that text. Is the preacher supporting his conclusions by drawing in verses from other parts of the Bible? Look, if, when I quote that verse, I have to be able to back it up by multiple other verses that substantiate and support what that text is saying in order to ensure I fully understood that text. Is the preacher doing that? You see, here's a danger. We are terrors, you know, preachers. Terrors! We abuse our office all the time. We begin to use the Bible as our weapon. We begin to use the Bible to teach everything that, that, that we feel that should be said. And we select a verse there because that's what I want the congregation to hear. And I select a verse there, we select a verse there, and we're all over the place. What are you to make of that? Be sure, friends. Be sure that what the preacher preaches 
is, is what's in the text. Oh, I hope you, I hope you realise that any, nothing I say is ever a slur on anything you've ever done before. Never. It's never a slur on Nick. And God bless him for his ministry here. It's never a slur of any preach you've had. But I guess this is a season where you call this weirdo from another part of the country, okay? So you've only got yourselves to blame. But one of the things I want to do with you to ensure that I'm not just hobby horse, horse preaching, that I'm not just getting at you, okay, for something that I know about your life or something you said to me, and to ensure that we get the whole counsel of God, one of the things that I want to be doing with you is to be systematically working our way through the Bible. So we'll take a book. God willing, we're going to pick up Daniel. Okay? And what we're going to do, we're not going to select Daniel chapter 1, verse 27, because that's my favourite verse. We're going to start in chapter 1 and verse 1, and then we're not going to go to chapter 7 and verse 5, because that's what I really want to get to. We're going to go to chapter 2, and then chapter 3, and then chapter 4, and 5, and 6. And, and the plan is that we'll work through a book of the Bible, because the Bible has been given to be taught. And in order for you to have a proper grasp of what's been done, and to dissect it and work through it, you need to be aware of what's happening, where we're going, what's coming up next. Look, here's the reality. Look, I don't know, if you, Jerry, if you ever wrote love letters to Lorraine when you were... Uh, or Lorraine to him. But look, I want you to imagine you, you've written a love letter to Lorraine. Okay? Notice I didn't say, Bron, Lorraine. Okay? Right. So she's got a letter. Now, you meet her, or three months later, say, uh, Lorraine, did you read that letter I gave you? And Lorraine responds, yeah, yeah. I read the fourth word on page one, and the, and the tenth word on page three, and the fifteenth word on page seven. All right. Okay. Okay. Next week, Lorraine, have you read my letter? He goes, yeah, I've read a whole line on page three and then a whole line on page 20. Bizarre, isn't it? The Bible has not been given to be handled piecemeal. A bit there and a bit there and a bit there. It's been given to be read, taught all the way through. None of us would handle a book or a letter by reading excerpts from here, there and everywhere, unless you're writing an essay and you're running out of time. You read through it. And so I want to encourage us together to be working through the Bible and therefore to energise and empower you to dissect and respond and, Act 17, examine what's been said and respond to what's been said. So God willing, you'll have an idea once we start the series what's coming up. Let me encourage you, read it before you come. Read a commentary if you've got one, okay? Come prepared. Work at it yourself. Here's a challenge. Take the passages coming up the following week and see if you can find the natural breaks, uh, the headings, the key theme, one of the things I'm planning to do um, after a bit of a run is to start up a preaching class. Not because I know everything there is to know about preaching, but because we can help and teach one another. And one of the things I'll do in that class is to give some basic outlines of how to handle the Bible. And so when you're at home, ask yourself, what's the main theme of this passage that our pastor is going to deal with next week? How would I break it down? And then when you come, sit there ready and listen. And ask yourself, 
Is this part of the Bible been handled fairly, accurately, faithfully? Are there, has he got the main point? Why is our minister speaking a sub-point from a passage when there's a main point staring you in the face? Why is he doing that? Probably, I'll tell you why he's probably doing that. It's because that's the message he wants you to hear. And I'm saying, well, what does God want you to hear? He wants you to hear the main point as the main thing. And perhaps the sub-points too if there's time, but if we did that every week, we'll be here to one p.m. And so test and scrutinise your preacher. If we come to hear God, make sure that your preacher preaches God's word faithfully, accurately, works across the scripture and brings you the whole counsel of God. I'm going to stop. Expect God to speak. Admit God knows better than you and check the preacher, especially if it's Montaz that week. <laughs> check the preacher says what the passage says. Friends, Luke 18, 8, 18. Listen carefully. Consider carefully how you will listen. This is my final word to you. How you and I listen to the Bible preached will ultimately conclude and determine where we stand in eternity. How we listen to the Bible being preached will ultimately determine and conclude where we are in eternity. This is the most serious and sobering exercise that we're engaged in. It will determine our eternal future. Listen up.